There's a, a uh, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon in which Calvin asks his dad, how come old photographs are always black and white? Didn't they have color film back then? <clears throat> dad answers, sure they did. In fact, those old photographs are in color. The world was black and white back then. <laughs> As someone who uh, grew up in the era of black and white photographs, sometimes I feel as if Calvin's, Calvin's dad is telling the truth. The world was black and white in those days. The photos were black and white. Most of the movies were black and white. The television was black and white. Uh, my parents drove a black and white 1957 Chevrolet. In the South, where we lived, Jim Crow segregation was both the law and a daily fact of life. Everything was divided between black and white. Black and white, men and women. There were the town people and the country people, and the list went on and on and on. All molds that people were pushed into, labels. The teacher mentioned in the poem had violated black and white social norms. Margaret Sazer concludes that poem, using what you have will not please everybody. That marrying a man of a different stripe is not a popular thing in a small town in the 1950s, and divorcing and coming home with a child is even worse, and that you get up every morning anyway and do your work. The again, in the phrase, make America great again, is a longing for ironclad social norms in that black and white world that I was born into. As Calvin's dad said, in fact, those old photographs are in color. The world was black and white then. Here's the fact of the matter. Black and white is easy. Us and them, is easy, but here's also the thing, black and white is always a lie. Today, I wanna to think for a few minutes about how to go about exposing the black and white world to color. Many of you have caught on to the fact that bad Greek ideas bug me. Bad Greek ideas permeate the thinking of the Western world and its many colonies and its several varieties of its one religion. Bad Greek ideas are everywhere, from how we do logic and science to how we think about the earth, living creatures, and human relationships. But the most dangerous Greek ideas lurk in our unquestioned assumptions in terms of theology and philosophy. Now, I contend that all human religions are about getting down to archetypes, the big, deep things concerning meaning and purpose. Given that, it's not a bad idea to think a bit about what an archetype is in order to separate some of the good from the bad among those assumptions. So the word archetype, those, like they, all those bad ideas, is Greek in origin. Arche, arche meant primitive. Archaic, right? Archaic, primitive. And tupos meant model. That's uh, where we get our word type. So the Greeks used archetupos to describe a mold into which something is poured to make copies. It's the archetupos. 
Nowadays, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about molds is molded plastic. Plastic gets poured into a mold to shape it, and you can make stuff like plastic cave people. <laughs> then dozens and dozens and thousands of thousands of plastic cave persons can be made, and they're all very much alike. Though, of course, the mold itself over time does wear down a little bit. The millionth molded cave person is not as sharp and defined as the first one that came out of the mold. For the ancient Greeks, going back to the Archetupos took you back to the ideal, the original cave person. But in our mass-produced reality, that original definition of archetype sometimes can take on a slightly sinister meaning. For us, molds are also about pushing things into them. We call something cookie cutter to say that there's no thought behind the production of that thing. Everything appears to be the same and the product doesn't require any thought or any originality. Cookie cutter, black and white. Now we see in the idea of the archetype a danger that the ancient Greeks did not see that has developed in the years since then. Western thought has given us another concept that gets in the way of that one, which is the individual. Individual, that which cannot be divided. So, to continue my metaphor here, if you chop the plastic cave person into pieces, you don't have a plastic cave person anymore. You have pieces of plastic. In the case of the human individual, chopping us up is considered illegal and immoral. <laughs> now, as I said, for the Greeks, both philosophy and religion was about getting back to those original archetypes, those original molds, back to an ideal. But human individuals are not plastic cave people. There is no archetupos in a factory somewhere for making people. Now notice that the origin story of Adam and Eve does presuppose in Archetupos a factory with a mold, if you will. In that scenario, God made the first two people the archetypes for all of humanity. The assumption is that every person that comes out of the mold since that time has certain features, such as, oh, original sin. But now we know thanks to Charles Darwin's dangerous idea, that that's not actually how it works. No gods molded the first people in their image, and there is no archetypal person. Never was, never will be. I know that I sound like a broken record talking about bad ancient Greek ideas, but it's important to remember that beliefs have pedigrees and they have consequences when you don't question them. The idea that an ideal exists stretches all the way back to those ancient Greeks. An ideal life, an ideal family of origin, an ideal lover, an ideal job, on and on. Archetypes. But that idea is wrong. That idea is diametrically opposite of the truth of the matter. There is no factory in heaven, and there is no archetype in the minds of the gods that created an ideal. 
person, situation, etc. So we need to watch out for archetypes because they can function to put our minds into a black and white world. And yeah, I'm assuming that you agree with me that black and white is not the kind of America you want to make again. Now here we have to make a distinction between an ideal and an abstraction. The English word abstraction is Latin, abstractio. It means to pull away, to go get a higher and higher view, right? So it's, it's seeing the forest instead of the trees, to abstractio. So no matter how high a uh, view you take, notice that the, cla the plastic cave persons never become abstractions. They just get dimmer, right? They don't become abstractions. Because, you see, even in the metaphor of the plastic cave people, I'm pointing to a concrete thing, plastic cave people. They never become an abstraction. Hope that makes sense. So an abstraction is drawing away, getting higher, away from it. But it has the added idea of pulling disparate things together, the forest instead of the trees. Whereas an ideal is concrete. The plastic cave people factory can have an inspector with a magnifying glass who looks and declares, that plastic cave person is an ideal plastic cave person, exactly the kind that the mold is designed to produce. So an abstraction isn't like that. You can never, ever, ever actually look at an abstraction. It just isn't there. Allow me to be concrete about abstractions, if you will. The concept of democracy is an abstraction. It's an idea based on a bunch of propositions concerning what democracy would look like or should look like, but there is no ideal because there's no mold for democracy. And there never has been a perfect democracy that came out of a factory somewhere. It's an abstraction. Neither has there ever been an ideal human being. There isn't a human factory out there, and there isn't a mold that forms perfect human beings. To think otherwise is to fall into that perfectionism trap. Yeah, it's a good thing to have some ideals. I'm not saying that it's not. Uh, for example, that all people should uh, be free. That's a good ideal or that all people have the right to personal dignity, good ideal, or that being adequately housed or adequately fed, or to have adequate health care are basic human rights. Those are goods that we strive for, even though we have to tell ourselves in those darker moments, we can't really get there as a society. Because where we humans get into trouble is when we begin to force ideals. That's the great danger. In the early 20th century, the Russians tried to force economic and political progress with the abstraction of communism. Disaster ensued. China, Cambodia, same thing, millions dead. The same thing happened in the case of fascism, trying to create a perfect nation or a perfect race of people. Disaster. The same thing happened when European powers attempted to create Christian capitalist colonies in Africa. Disaster. So many U.S. wars have been about establishing ideal free market democracies. 
Disaster, disaster, disaster. Pursuing an ideal and ignoring the facts on the ground leads to disaster. It is fairly plain from history. Why? Because the ideal does not exist. There is no factory producing perfect societies or perfect economies. Socrates was wrong. Plato was wrong. St. Thomas Aquinas was wrong. They were all wrong about that. We have to face it and deal with it. You and I don't live in a perfect, ideal neighborhood. We don't live in an ideal city. We don't live in an ideal state or an ideal nation or an ideal world or an ideal galaxy or an ideal cosmos. As a matter of fact, when you get down to brass tacks, all those things kind of suck sometimes. Loneliness, sickness, death. I mean, what's up with that stuff, right? And I hate to break it to our new members who joined today, but even First Unitarian Society isn't ideal. <laughs> we have our aspirations, but we cannot achieve them ever. To think otherwise is to be endlessly disappointed with us. It's to fall victim to bad Greek ideas. Perfection is impossible. And it's very damaging as a thought. There is no mold that makes perfect humans. There is no factory of the gods. I mean, do a search on top-selling self-help books when you got nothing else to do. You'll see titles like Prisoners of Our Thoughts, Getting Unstuck, The Power of Habit, You Can Heal Your Life, There's Nothing Wrong With You, Going Beyond Self-Hate. And my favorite, The Perfect Mess, The Hidden Benefits of Disorder. <laughs> Which, I am going to start charging people to go sit in my office to learn that very valuable lesson. <laughs> the Hidden Benefits of Disorder. It'll help. What all these books tell us with varying degrees of bluntness is that the Greek idea of an ideal is a really bad idea. Now in your order of service this morning, there's a quote from RuPaul. You are born naked, the rest is drag. <laughs> so here's my question for you. When are we truly ourselves? Are we ever truly ourselves? Or is that merely another ideal that we try to live up to? What if each of us has the freedom to be a blank canvas that we can paint on anew every day? Now here's the thing, the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche long ago proposed a radical solution to these problems that I have been outlining. When Nietzsche looked to the future, he saw the challenges posed by the question of freedom and individuality, and he realized that Plato was wrong. So he made a startling and prescient declaration. Abstractions enslave us. All abstractions enslave us. Religion, nationalism, fascism, communism, individualism, communalism, conservatism, liberalism, democracy, all are traps, said Nietzsche. Humanist principles 
do take that into consideration and turn it into a nice little phrase. We say, people matter more than ideas. People matter more than ideas. And that's a, a really hard place to reason yourself into. A fundamentalist can't get there. A fascist can't get there. The black and white world that I was born into did not prepare me to see a world of color and art and a world where people matter more than ideas. Your perfectionism won't allow you to get to that place. Nietzsche was very blunt about it. If you believe in an abstraction enough to die for it, not only do you lose your personal freedom, but you are prepared to take away the freedom and even the life of other people. And that's neither free nor moral. Abstractions enslave us, and so do ideals. Because we human beings don't live in abstractions. We can't act freely and morally according to abstractions. We live in this world, which, from moment to moment, is a bloody mess. Nietzsche thought long and hard about this contradiction. How can we walk forward in a world in which abstract ideals both enable our highest aspirations and lead us to our basest impulses? How do we go forward when abstractions lead to both compassion and to murder? Nietzsche's answer was a little counterintuitive, but profound. He said, each of us must become an artist of the moment, a composer, a painter, a poet. We must become an artist of our lives. And the art we create is ourselves, individual, unique, free. We are born naked. The rest is drag. We must find ourselves by embracing our own irrationality through self-expression. We are born naked. It's time for drag. We must find both our fun and our moral cores in the face of constant ambiguity in living. So our, our theme of the month has been play. Psychologist Jean Piaget said, quote, play is the answer to the question, how does anything new come about? How does anything new come about? Seminarians nowadays study the work of Rabbi Edwin Friedman. Friedman was a rabbi and a therapist, and he later became a consultant for congregational leadership. Most famously, he came up with a theory called family systems. It's a way of considering congregational dynamics as if the congregation were a family. And Friedman says this, the relationship between anxiety and seriousness is so predictable that the absence of playfulness in any institution is almost always a clue to the degree of its emotional regression. Okay, I will. The relationship between anxiety and seriousness is so predictable that the absence of playfulness in any institution is almost always a clue to the degree of its emotional regression. The absence of playfulness in any institution is almost always a clue to the degree of its emotional regression. If you get too serious, you stop being an adult. 
which I think is actually true. Play, art, the clothes you choose to drape upon your nakedness. Our realities are in full color if we refuse the ease of requiring them to be black and white, if we get too serious about things. Not only does personal freedom depend upon each of us becoming the artists of our own lives, but also freedom in our culture depends upon our encouragement and our compassion toward other people who are trying to paint upon that blank canvas of their existences. My ability to be the artist of my life depends upon your ability to be the artist of your life in playfulness. It's time we tell some of those bad old Greek ideas in our heads, lighten up. <laughs>